Welcome to day two cloud today. We've got a good one for you today. We're talking about the open source project, Open Telemetry. And this is going to be a, I, I honestly think this is going to be a very big deal, very impactful for you if you're in cloud, the cloud native world, uh, et cetera. Open Telemetry is going to impact you one way or the other. Would you, uh, would you agree, Ned? Yeah, you know, I always think of monitoring as super boring, but it turns out it's kind of interesting. And that's why we ended up with such a robust episode with our guest today. Our guest is Ben Hall. He is a principal software engineer at Holmes England, and he'll talk about that in just a moment. Enjoy this conversation with Ben Hall. Ben Hall, welcome to Day 2 Cloud, sir. Thank you for making the time, and uh, you've not been on the show before, so let's introduce you to the audience. Tell the nice people listening who you are and what you do. Well, yeah, as you said, my name is Ben Hall. I'm a principal software engineer at Holmes England, which is a UK public body, um, and we work to stimulate the housing market by increasing the supply of affordable homes and creating sustainable communities across England. And in my past life, I was a school teacher. Oh, okay. <laughs> you say you said principal software engineer. Is that is that uh -huh. a distinct like tier of, of of software engineer principal as opposed to a different sort? I suppose so. Yeah. So um, I think it depends on the the company the organization you work at how they use these terms i think some people will treat principal as an architectural role mm -hmm. um in place of solutions architects some might use it as a um a sort of senior technical position and others much more managerial uh, more akin to maybe head of software driving practice i consider myself quite fortunate that i get to do all three of those best i can balancing my time between the three of those so there's an architecture role here. So when you, now, now Ned and I, and most of our audience are more on the infrastructure side of things. So when you say architecture to mm. us, what we're thinking about is how to build a system end to end that's going to deliver an application that Ben Hall might be writing or leading a team of uh, developers to write perhaps. Um, so when you say software architecture, um, what is that mm. at a very high level, what's that look like? I think the line's really blurred. I think I've always struggled to understand the different types of architects. You see all these subtly different job titles. I suppose in my world, an enterprise architect would start looking at that much bigger picture about how the system, how all the systems hook together. And then, you know, solutions architecture and sort of architectural principle might get involved in. We'll zoom in a little bit closer on a particular service and the technology stack being used to build that. So in a .NET Azure world, you know, I might be consulted as to whether a logic app or a function would be a good way to solve a particular problem. Right. Okay. So our worlds overlap quite a bit then. You're just looking at it uh -huh. from a different different point of view, even though what an infrastructure architect, what a software architect uh, might be doing, again, some some different things, different focuses, but I think a similar result in a lot of ways. And I think a lot of that overlap, if we were to draw a Venn diagram, would be in our topic today, uh, visibility, observability, understanding what's going on within that architecture. Now, the, the the premise of our recording today is the two articles you wrote on open telemetry, the uh, you know the open standard here about uh, telemetry, getting a look inside the black box at what's going on. So we need to mm -hmm. set the stage here for people with some uh, so kind of some baseline definitions, and one of those is the difference between visibility and observability, Ben. That's one of the very first things you bring out in your uh, your two-part blog series. Can you explain your perspective on that? Yeah, I think it's important to, to have that understanding before you dive in. So visibility is just, it's just when something's happened. 
Um, if I was being a bit of a cynical death, historically, maybe we would have seen the the ops guys in that half of DevOps is doing a lot of that stuff, a lot of those monitoring tools, telling us how healthy the infrastructure is, you know, performance measures, you know, how's the CPU doing, how's the hard drive space, that sort of stuff. Um, and a lot of those uh, tend to be the predictable problems. You know, I, like, um, you know, you know that processor being overused on a box is something that can happen. So you might put an alert in place that warns you when that happens. So you would know when that's happened, but you wouldn't necessarily know why it happened. And actually, slight tangent here, because I love every time I talk about observability, I love to talk about <laughs> quote charity majors somewhere. She's great, you know, from, from Honeycomb. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. she does say, look, if it is a predictable problem, then why haven't you automated the fix anyway? Why should, why is there no that? So classic example, database connections, you know, they, they do have problems they can go down and you'll monitor that. Um, but if you know that's something that could happen, then you should have implemented a, a circuit breaker, some some way of handling those connection failures gracefully and, and retrying it, specified interval. So you might argue that there's not much of an ROI, a return on investment in stuff, in visibility. Um, so then there's, on the other hand, there's observability. Um, and I'm not just going to say, well, developers do that and they've done it well, because we haven't. And I'll get onto that maybe when we talk about logging. Um, but that's the why. And my question, there's a lot of great definitions out there. Charity has slightly different ways of explaining it. But for me, it's just, why is this system exhibiting certain behavior? It's that deep understanding, finding the root cause and having a system, having an observability solution, a way of digging into that system and finding answers to those unpredictable problems, the ones you didn't know would happen, having that in place, that's the challenge. Right. So not something that you would necessarily pick up on just by observing the standard or I say observing, but we're, uh, <laughs> I guess we're going to have to work on some terms, <laughs> but by just looking at the metrics, I wouldn't necessarily know there's a problem because the CPU looks fine. The memory looks fine, but the application is thrashing for some reason that uh -huh. I couldn't have predicted. Observability is the thing that's going to help me understand why that's happening with the application. Yeah. Yes, that's a, that's a really good way of putting it, actually. Yeah. So, I mean, instead of talking about observing a system, you can talk about monitoring. I think that means a lot um, to most people, it means the same thing. Okay. Okay. So if we're thinking about monitoring and then observing as, as a larger portion of that activity, what are the main things that I'm going to be focused on to get the information I need to perform that monitoring and then later that observability? Mm -hmm. So you might have heard the term, uh, the three pillars of telemetry. Um, and there's quite a lot of things to unpick here. So you might not have come across the term telemetry for before. That is just the data that, that we're getting. Uh, it could be those metrics. It, could, uh, it can be logs or it could be traces. And those are the three pillars. That's that data that we can use to help us understand the state of a particular system or service. Um, you may also hear people, you may also hear me using it about even thinking, um, calling te telemetry signals. It's just another term we use mm. for you know that data that's coming out of the system that we're emitting from it. Um, so those three pillars, you've got logs, and that's very much the what has happened. And if a lot of developers were honest, they would say that's all they know how to do. That's what they do. They just fill a profile with lots of logging. Um, those are those human readable, detailed records of important events that you use for troubleshooting. And they are really useful for troubleshooting if you know they're usually very detailed. The problem with those, of course, is they're not always 
tied or certainly loosely tied to any particular user or request in the system. So you can't always chase that back to other connected events. And um, myself guilty early in my career as well of, of, of abusing them and using them more like tracing, mm. um, which you know, takes me on to tracing, which is the finding out where it happens. So if you implement the tracing signal in your systems, if you emit that everywhere, then you can capture that whole end-to-end flow, that whole transaction through the system, and ultimately reduce that need to put excessive logging everywhere to try and rebuild that journey. And then the third pillar, which is the one we've already touched on, is the metrics. So, um, ha- so that kind of tells you how well things have been happening. And for me, I mean, they're, they're the numbers, aren't they? Um, I'm a little bit of a... Pro- I, I like to iterate. You've seen my maybe my blog title, "Failing Fast." I like to get in there and just try and build things. So I'm a bit of a if it you know if I build it and it works, I'm happy. And I do do find, especially maybe in some of the organisations I've worked, you tend to come to these NFRs, these non-functional requirements after you finished it and say, "Oh, we need to sign it off. How fast do we want it?" <laughs> you know, and then we put the metrics over it. I wanted to dig dig into the the logging versus tracing for just a second here. Um, now you said you're guilty as a developer sometimes, or you have been guilty of using logs as tracing. I think I know what you're getting at there. I I hack around a bit, and if I'm working on code and trying to understand it, sometimes I'll just be putting, like in the very early stages of development, you throw in a print statement just to throw something on the screen, so you know something happened or you know what what just occurred, and you could do that a bunch, and you get a bunch of things on the screen. Um, that's kind of logging, um, but it's really more tracing because you're trying to debug something or figure something out that's going on. Is that the kind of thing you're getting at? It is, yeah. And um, I mean, I could go for a lot of dirty secrets in my past in the logging world. I mean, you know, you've got a problem in live, you add some logs, you redeploy. Uh, run one of the services in a distributed, you know, system locally to make the stuff traffic go through you and you know debug for it. I've rebuilt a library with extra logging and deployed that DLL into live just so I can get that extra logging because we hadn't instrumented, you know, we hadn't put the right telemetry in our system such that we could deal with these unpredictable problems. So when you start doing these anti patterns, you know. That something must have gone wrong. You must have, you know, you obviously haven't made an observable system ultimately. Um, a lot of logging isn't bad. I mean, it is bad when you you see permanent logging in a service that says entered this function, left this function, um, because people are trying to get that journey traced through. Because of course, stack traces, brilliant thing, really useful, really within one service. But you only get those if something actually crashes. You know, there's an exception that you haven't handled. A lot of the stuff that goes wrong, especially in large modern systems. It's, it's just not that simple to, you know, it isn't going to blow up an obvious error anywhere. Now, logging, in my mind, was distinct from tracing in that tracing provides some amount of context around the event so that you can tell end-to-end, like we were talking about distributed systems. So if we're running a transaction that goes through several different microservices, let's say, before the transaction is complete, and you need context around this event, you need to know where it is in the transaction that the thing happened, so you have some idea of what's going on and where the failure is occurring. And to me, that's kind of the distinction between logging and tracing, is tracing gives me that context so I know where in the, where in the distributed stack I am. Yeah. And I think just to help you know, to see where I was coming from, actually, um, in a previous role in that organization, um, they only had logging. They were doing it at scale. It was going into Elastic. Um, and it was sort of homegrown, home rolled correlation. So 
you know, there was this sort of vague communication and trust between teams to sort of pass correlation IDs on, have some sort of unique, you know, a GUID such that when you query it later on in this giant vault of logs, you can find a way to join join those together and recreate that journey, um, which works to a point, but it's flaky and eventually it does become really challenging to maintain. I mean, there was there was confusion all, all over the place with that one. So the, our, our ideal situation, of course, would be that we, we have all three of these signals and the logs, they're really important. You put them in critical places, but they are also decorated with the same ID, the same unique identifier that means we can find let's put it another way. So if we if we if we know there's a problem in one in service C, um we look at the logs and we can't work out why this problem's happened, we can then use the traces to to go back and find you know where the original the root cause was, which service did have the problems, and then associate that with the logs on that service and hopefully dig deeper and find the actual root cause. That right. makes sense. Right. So traces are, at least in part, linking the events that have occurred in these different services together through some sort of shared ID, whether it's a transaction ID or some other way of stamping that this is all part of a larger transaction that's happening across multiple services. Yeah, that's a better way of putting it. <laughs> and um, some might say, well, why don't you just put your logging in there? But of course, you know, there's, 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 um, there's overheads here to storing all that data. You can talk about the cardinality of, of, of a metric or a trace or a log, you know, how many different values you try squeezing in it. Um, and logs are going to be expensive storing. I mean, you're using plain English in them a lot. So um, whereas traces, you want to be able to store more of those and you need to keep those lighter so you don't want all that logging information in there, but you want to be able to find the log associated with a trace at a particular point in the transaction. Right. And when I've looked at logs, they can be really difficult to parse, even though they're written in human language. Sometimes you want to search them programmatically, and that can be very difficult because they're not in that format. Um, that's one problem that I can think of. But I imagine there's some other problems that we're facing in the world of observability when it comes to these more complex modern systems. What are some of the big issues that you're trying to get your arms around with something like open telemetry? So uh, another big issue for me, one of the sort of two, two bigger challenges, as well as the correlation and the context problems, is also the, the format and structure. Um, we, you know, a large organization will have many teams historically probably doing things different ways, different ways of um, implementing observability, possibly different you know, backends for looking at it or logging libraries, probably different text hacks potentially merged with some other companies and brought in their tech as well. So it could be a big mismatch. And at some point you are going to need that um, that cohesive view of it all and be able to do that. And of course, one of the problems we've got is some fantastic um, open source and, and commercial vendors out there for, for you know working with observability, but they use proprietary protocols, their own protocols. So you end up um, sort of vendor locked, which for me is one of those other bigger challenges as well is, um it's um I, I mean I really fear that I'm a, I'm a big proponent of open standards and I I I'm just always terrified of getting locked into something because doing this sort of work instrumenting your applications get plugging in this sort of observability solution on a, on a large scale is, is is a big ask and you don't really want to have to come back and do it again right right and I would worry about homegrown solutions as well where somebody just decide to implement their own 
observability or telemetry oh, stack mm-hmm. and and come up with their own data formats. And, you know, I'm going to use JSON, but I'm going to use this really weird structure that nobody else uses. And then when you try to parse that or load it into your larger library to look at things, it, you need now run, like write a custom adapter for that. And it just encourages, um, it, it needs someone to own that very clearly. It's very difficult maintaining the schemas for that sort of thing. I've been in situations where we've tried to find out are we using the term correlation ID or trace ID because it's our home homegrown one, home road. You know, we couldn't even because they're, they're both of them were present in some of these JSONs. And it actually gets to a point in the end whether you're using a vast amount of storage because people are just JSON dumping every object, everything. You know, if you're not sure what to log, just put it all there. Mm. Um, and so maintaining that's hard enough as it is, and onboarding is difficult. And then I couldn't even imagine trying to then have to write our own libraries for different languages just so we could support our entire estate so it could all log to the same place because ultimately that's going to be one of the key needs key asks of observability is having all that in one place so you can you can do that yeah get that joined up visibility oh that's a really good point i didn't think about the the polyglot problem where you mm-hmm. probably have you know uh, yes it's a microservices architecture you might have four or five different languages involved there from different teams and they're all going to have their own libraries and ideally, you'd still like them to emit something that is useful to your telemetry solution uh, that's consistent across all of these languages. Yeah. And it's not just um, them. I mean, I, it's um, it's also the the other services that you use going down the lines that you SaaS solutions, uh, libraries that you bring in, um, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the programming happens in you know, a lot of the codes actually inside a library, and then it's that becomes a black box in itself. You know, how do we know what's happened in in inside that too? So there's there's all challenges that sort of chains on from this 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 bigger problem. Ben, again, most of us that are listening to day two cloud are not developers. We're on the other side of the fence, more right. on the off side. And you said something that caught my attention. You said uh, depending on the toolkit that you're using, the tech stack that you're using, you're getting a bunch of telemetry kind of kind of built in is how i understood it is that did i understand that right mm. or are you, well i guess what i'm trying to understand is what is the tooling that you as a developer are using to write your code what what of the telemetry is built in versus what are you as a coder you know creating to write specific log entries and so on where to take this in terms of are we talking about because obviously it's, it's it's widely variable Widely, I mean, it depends what tech stack works, which organization. Everyone does things so differently. Um, so I'm not sure how I could even give you a. Well, a, so here's what answer. I'm trying to understand. You get a, um, as a function of the tech stack that you're using, the framework that you're using. Maybe that's the right word. Some right. amount of telemetry functionality that's built into that that you were able to turn on, take advantage of as a developer. Is that fair to say? I'll speak from my own .NET world. I'm, you know, very much. I, I seem to move from Microsoft House to Microsoft House, so that's where my confidence lies, and I'll, I can speak to that. Um, and most of the time, we're rolling stuff based on ASP.NET, you know, web apps, whether it be functions, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And out of the box, um, .NET Core isn't really sort of. You, you'd still have to plug in libraries, but of course, the core libraries, the stuff off the shelf is is very much about is usually applications insights so straight away i'm talking about vendor locking there you do get some quite nice automatic instrumentation there you get some reasonable traces you can look at in azure monitor and um, but it very much sort of locks you into that straight away 
Right, right. I have some experience with that setting up application insights for application like development teams. And they they were coding and using that library in their code when they're writing the application. So yeah, it slots really nicely into Azure and and running it there. But if they wanted to move that same tech stack over to AWS and run their .NET application there, they wouldn't be able to emit that same telemetry data to what uh, not cloud formation, cloud something. I'm trying to remember all the different names of the CloudWatch. They wouldn't be able to emit the same sort of yeah. metric to CloudWatch because it doesn't understand application insights. So that that seems like a pretty big problem. It is, and and I think yeah, people you, you kind of have to fully embrace being um, having that freedom to move. So we might containerize something, put it in Kubernetes. We're really proud. We can lift that up and we can put it wherever we like if we ever chose to move. But once you start actually locking yourself into Azure's monitoring system, Azure's AD system, that isn't an easy change. It isn't, you can't just, you know, because you have to go through a lot of your code changing how you log and how you instrument, depending right. on which sort of back end you're going to be using in the end, which right. is a big not, ask. Not as simple as just switching out a library. You have to switch out all the calls to that library and, and whatnot as well. But yeah, it depends. I mean, if you have just just been a bit lazy and just plugged in the automatic stuff, then <laughs> you could just remove the library. But there's a limit to how much you get from automatic instrumentation. Right. Well, this sounds like the perfect time to introduce OpenTelemetry then, Ben, because uh, this does, we just, I think, articulated a, a big part of the problem. So tell us, what is OpenTelemetry? And I think we can call it, we can abbreviate it OTEL. Is that the way the industry has been, what they've been calling it these days? Yeah, certainly when it comes to typing it, anything, anything to save some, <laughs> save my fingers a few more years, you know, until the AI can just, you know, guess what I want to say. So uh, yeah, Open Telemetry Hotel, it's, it's, it's the cool kid on the block. It's it's an evolution of its predecessors. So that was Open Tracing and Open Census. Um, they were a bit of a sort of fragmented ecosystem. They did some good stuff. I think Open Tracing, Tracing, <laughs> Open Census did a bit of tracing and metrics, but Developers were kind of having to pick and choose, use a bit of both. And um, they had a lot of other problems too as well, you know, in terms, especially in terms of being able to adapt and then extend them. They hadn't quite got that right. So OpenTelemetry has come along um, and it's like a single comprehensive solution um, that combines the strengths of both of those. And it's it's vendor neutral um, by default, which is which is pretty awesome. Uh, now the Open Telemetry project is part of the CNCF. It's yet another one of the mm -hmm. many, many projects under this uh, Cloud Native Computing Foundation's care and feeding, right? It is. It is, and, I, and I've I've, hit, I've had um, quotes uh, that it's I think number two most active project under Kubernetes. Um, I haven't seen that for myself, but um, might just be. Oh, <laughs> not sure it's true. No, you just so, said Kubernetes, which I suppose is a is a magic word. There is that is was Otel conceived with Kubernetes in mind, or is that because we're talking about distributed applications and microservices, which tend to be uh, the the platform tends to be Kubernetes that is run on? Is that just tend to come up naturally in the open telemetry conversation? I wouldn't want to imply that link, but it was definitely Otel was definitely born out of the needs of distributed systems. But that said, its features are valuable um, in any environments, not just you know, not just distributed systems. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask that question because you know it's part of the CNCF that says cloud native to me that says these large distributed systems. What if I'm not running that? What if I'm running like a basic three tier application? Does Otel still is that still useful to me? Any three tiers? 
I tell you what, I, we, we can talk about stories of uh, distributed systems that were made up of end-tier applications. You know, so you go up one side, trace, go across, come down the other side, you know, maybe into a library that's multi-tier, and it's, that's another story for another day. But in terms of, yeah, so you're sort of, you know, you're monolith, it's a dirty word, isn't it? But, you know, you're single, single service. I like to sort of use analogies for this sort of thing. So if you think of maybe a public transportation system, you've got your your bus routes in the city, that's your non-distributed, that's your single service system. So you've got your little bus system. And then you've got a big train network, a rail network that interconnects all these cities for the more complex journeys. And, you know, I'm probably going to take a bus in this city, then take to, to a train station, take the rail across to the other city, and then the bus again at the other side. And the sort of system we'd expect is that I can buy shared tickets that work on both. Um, I don't have to buy separate separate ones. Now, and there's a standard route map planning system, just like when I go on Google, it doesn't, doesn't tell me I have to go off and research the bus or the train separately. I can do all that in one place. Um, the schedules, the signage, whether I'm taking the bus or the train, those all make the same, they all mean the same to me. Just like when I'm checking the service health or disruption, I want to know... You know, is my journey going to go okay? What, how long is it going to take? I, I, I want to be able to use the same language, the same systems to to look at that, to get that overall picture. So I don't want that, that, that. So I'm kind of, I, a lot of that's relevant to distributed systems too. But if you look through the stuff and going through, there's also really important benefits just for just for that developer, that um, that flexibility to move between systems and, and understand, um, to have that common standard. You know, it's the same each way. And actually... I mean, we struggle a lot in the public sector. We don't pay brilliantly, but uh, we have other benefits. But um, anything that can help recruitment and retention, and we say, well, we're using this standard, you'll know how to, you know, you can onboard and immediately start working with it. And likewise, for the developers here, they don't, you know, you're working on a modern standard. This is the future. Um, so you'll be learning it as well. And you'll be able to reuse that anywhere and work on any system because they will speak in the same language. So it's all about that standardization of the data for you. You're you're making a a bigger deal of that than uh, than the fact that it works well and helps you solve the tracing through a distributed system. Yeah, I mean, and that would lead us on. Yeah, you, know, you could. Yeah, you can talk about the the other benefits that you get. There's there's more components. There's more to it than just um, that standard protocol. But that is that that is at the core of it. Well, so the reason I pose the question, Ben, is it feels like the magic would be in the, to me, in the, in the tracing component. So, you know, just being able to figure out where the heck this transaction went wrong, knowing it's buried deeply in a complex transaction, uh, and then being able to pinpoint that using the, uh, the telemetry was, uh, was super key. But I guess as you're, as you're stating it here, it's not, there are other tools that can do that, right? There, there are other solutions yeah. that can give you that distributed tracing functionality. What Open Telemetry is giving us is that, but then also this predictable format for the telemetry that gives you uh, portability and uh, gives you again that standard that uh, everyone can interoperate with if they choose to, which we're already seeing from some tooling vendors. Uh, some tooling vendors are announcing support yeah. for Open Telemetry in one way or the other. Either they consume it or they can produce uh, open telemetry formatted data that's uh, popping up more and more. Or, or native only now. So I think, was it Jaeger? I think I'm right. Jaeger's now OTLP. You don't use Jaeger's protocol anymore. You you have to use the new protocol, which you know, we might get on to. Um, yeah, so it's freedom. It gives you that freedom. You're completely decoupled um, from, so you can just switch your languages at will. You can switch the backend provider. You could use multiple backend providers. 
Um, and that's not a big deal to be able to do that anymore. But you're right, the tracing itself isn't isn't new. That's been around. It was harder if I want a particular if I wanted to use a particular vendor. Um, it was reliant on them having libraries that supported instrumenting C sharp or JavaScript or Python. And eventually there's going to be a point where they there isn't a way to get the telemetry from the system I like. And that kind of ruins my party then, doesn't it? I can't, you know, I don't have that big a picture. There's always going to be that. And I found that I loved end service bus. I loved they they got that right. I, I'm a big fan of it. Um, I think we had about 20, 20 plus endpoints. Um, so always messages flying around. But there'd always be a point where an endpoint called some API that wasn't part of end service bus's lovely correlation IDs and probably on a different time zone as well, because end service bus kept forcing it to, you know, some somewhere in America. So your correlation would just fizzle and straight away you wouldn't really be sure, you know, where the root cause was and you know what you'd lose that trail. So there's that big risk which open telemetry is going to help get rid of. You really will be able to make sure you get that complete cohesive view. Interesting. So it's really playing that layer that I'd almost make an analogy to something like TCP IP, where it's not governing what's happening on one end of, of the conversation or the other end. It's just the protocol by which data can be transferred. And so Otel is kind of doing that from the application to whatever is going to be ingesting that information and making sense of it. Does that does that line up, or am I like yeah, way spot off? On, spot on, yeah. And if you're on, on your, if you're on um, protocol analogies, you could say, you know, why why wouldn't you adopt it? It would be like um, I'm thinking about the CompuServe days, or having really strange <laughs> proprietary. Instead of putting up a website that people can access using HTTPS, you you use Ethan's protocol, ETTP or something. You know, <laughs> why would you do? Why would you tie yourself in that way that everyone had to go out and get this special browser, this special protocol, just so they can talk to your look at your website? You just wouldn't do that. So, I mean, um, I guess Internet Explorer tried to do that for a while, and we know how well that went, <laughs> at least from a security standpoint. Um, but yeah, if we're looking at Otel, and it's kind of loosely coupled on both ends. So what is actually what is Otel actually comprised of? What are the components that it's built built up from? Yeah, there's um well, there's several components, I think six, seven, depending on what sort of detail you're gonna go to. But I think uh that might model things to start with from a developer's point of view, and you know, for just getting started in that sense. Um I would probably be talking about the core libraries. So this is like, so the SDKs that implement the APIs, <laughs> I won't go into the details about where the differences lie in that sense, And but essentially your SDK is made up, gives you the, the, the bare bones to start manually sending the, the, the three types of telemetry from a particular application. Those SDKs are available for many languages. I think officially supported is 11 at the moment, but that could have changed. I know there's a couple more trying to, trying to sneak in there. Um, I think you have to get to a certain amount of supporters and people working on something before it can be, you know, officially moved in as a as a you know community owned one. Um, so once you've got that basic SDK SDK in place, you can um, then bring in the instrumentation libraries. I'm not sure if we touched on this yet, but instrumentation means getting some code in there to have an application, have a service send out those signals, that telemetry data, albeit metrics, logs, or um, traces. And there's tons of those out of the box um, for all sorts of languages and frameworks. So in .NET world, I think we talked about how easily you could do some 
initial automatic instrumentation. And with an ASP.NET application, I can just add a couple of libraries, one for the website for incoming requests and one for HTTP client. And then out of the box straight away, my API calls another API, which has also got that automatic stuff. And it's going to return that journey for me. It's going to yeah. propagate. It's going to pass on that information because that's not magic. There is no central server doing this. Hmm. If you want that context, those those IDs and to move across your system so you can follow that trail, then you are going to have to propagate that. So the any, any service involved needs to be aware of open telemetry so that it can receive it and pass it on. But you can get that with your automatic stuff. You just connected a dot, some dots for me because I was sort of thinking it, thinking of it. Well, who generates that ID to begin with, mm-hmm. and then how is that ID passed along through all the applications? As yeah. if, if we wanted to do this trace, and and that was that was the connection point for me. Is each application needs to be aware that it's that open telemetry is what's being used, and then respect what the calling application is yeah. doing. A lot of developers listening might might tune in and listen to this and kicking themselves thinking, oh, I could have released this years ago. I've written this because I think we all have. We've all (laughs) written something. And the first service that finds that it doesn't have an ID goes, oh, it must be my turn to create it. I'll be the one that creates it. And then it'll get used forever on. And um, Because it's, I don't think there's any rocket science here. It's it's a straightforward thing. It just needed people to step up. And and it has been that way. You know, the big providers stepping and contributing and making this happen. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I didn't mention when you talk about core libraries, you got the instrumenters, which generate the stuff ready to send out. But you also need to pick your exporter libraries, and there's a load of them as well. You know, so you could, I could have my SP.NET application. I could export to Jaeger. I could export to Azure Monto. I could export to loads of places from my application. You might not want to do that. That could be a little bit slowing, but you can do that. Okay, so the ex where it's exporting to would be whatever system of record you're using to capture all this trace data, so you can comb through it later. Okay, and would each individual application in the chain export that to the collector, or would it be once the transaction is complete or reaches some sort of end state? Okay, that last app in the chain is what actually sends that up, because then you could lose information in in the chain, I guess. Yeah, I look at you, Keen, and, and, and jumping straight onto the collector. Um, <laughs> I think there's a lot of options. I don't know if you want to, I mean, whether or not we want to, you know, sort of, yeah, I'm quite good at tangents. I could go off into the collector now. If you like, it's certainly um, one of the, part of the solution to that. Um, but it depends. Certainly in early days, really small systems, experimenting with it. You would you just you could just have every service just exporting directly to the back end of choice, you know, where you want that data to end up. But okay. right, the Open Telemetry Collector does that, and I, we want to get there in a minute. Mm-hmm. But before we do that, Ben, um, could you walk us through what a what a trace feels like um, going through the Open Telemetry system? How, how does Open Telemetry do the job of tracing? And I know in your blog post you described uh, an Otel span. Uh, it's got a trace ID, then there's tra- a span ID and a parent mm-hmm. ID, and so on. Can you walk us through that? Yeah, it probably brings back visions of anyone studying computer science of um, sort of linked lists and stuff, you know, being able to yeah. traverse them backwards and forward. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and it is that simple, though. So like we've said, you know, you want traces so you can map that whole journey of the transactions through your entire system. Um, and what OpenTelemetry does, then it just breaks it down to a few simple terms. So you have a span. Well, sorry, stepping back a bit, you have a unique ID, which you've just been talking about, a trace ID, which represents that entire journey. So if I want to find any logs, metrics, traces, you know, that were 
they're associated with that particular transaction for the system. I've got that trace ID. That's how I'm going to correlate. Okay, you said then, uh, you said you you associate a trace ID with a transaction, which is how I was thinking of it. You know, a transaction is yes. the, you know end to end the the delivery of this through the system. A trace ID is identifying that that transaction, um, and the trace ID belongs to to a span to what Open Telemetry would call a span. Uh, no, so at the top of this tree, we've got the whole journey, the trace ID. Yeah. In there, you have got single operations, and that doesn't necessarily mean everything one service does, it could mean a lot of things the service does. Um, unless you're using some sort of automatic instrumentation to get you started, it's the developers that choose what a span is. And I think that's quite important to acknowledge uh, that, That because um, I'm not a big fan of the, some of the automated tracing, because I'm also not a big fan of leaving it to later and doing it retrospectively, because you need to do it there and then when when you have an understanding of what that code does. You when you're when you're writing that code, you know best which bits are going to be important to know about later on. And if you don't, that's where you should be talking to the business and other stakeholders to find out what's important to them. What do they need to know? Because they don't they don't they might not need to know if if that CPU's high when newsletters get sent out. It's not important to them. What is important? What's going to affect their users? So a span is another ID um, linked to. I suppose it's. It's a child ID, if you like, from that trace. It's one of the spans in that trace. So it's linked to that trace ID. So you've got trace ID at the top and then a span. How, and of course, there's going to be a lot of spans through that journey all over the place. How are you going to know which order to put them back together and to reconstruct them so you can look at that journey? Each span will keep a record of the parent span ID that it that it spawned from. Nice word. Okay. And then you can put that whole puzzle back together by retracing your steps, looking at the, at the parent ID. Right. So you're building out a tree here where you have the, the trace ID is just the unique identifier for this transaction. And then you start with one span, which is that initial kickoff of the transaction, which create other spans, always referencing their parent. And it could be this large branching out tree from a single beginning trace. Yeah. Incredibly hard to draw, which is why I've not drawn it in my blog, and why because the way we normally the way we normally look at these things, Azure App Insights is a classic, does it out of the box, but they they look a bit like Gantt charts, Gantt charts. You might mm -hmm. remember those from college or school. Um, horrible things. Um, <laughs> but great for waterfall. <laughs> so when waterfall comes back, so will Gantt charts. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so backends tend to display against time like that. Um, but they, but multiple spans, really complex journeys can get a little bit hard to represent. Um, so, but you can drill down, and and that's where you that's where you want that freedom to pick the best backend. And I'm going I'm, I'm to try not to name any particular vendors, but one day one might be doing a really good job of that, and I love that. And I want to just build a switch without having to say, look, I need six months because we've got to change our applications and the way they're instrumented to do this. I want to be able to change. In fact, even better than changing, I'd like to just be able to point to a second one too. That you couldn't you couldn't go through your code doing that. It's just not even something that would be possible right now. Right, that does sound useful. If you could just mm -hmm. okay, we're going to point at both for a little bit. Make sure that the new solution does everything the old solution can, plus whatever it promised. And then when yeah. we're ready, we just stop sending to the old solution, and everybody's happy. That's ideal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, can you explain the concept of hotel baggage? I know that that came up in I, I believe in one of your posts. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You're going on a trip, you've got your suitcase, you pick up things as you go. And um, 
as you go through your distributed system, you can pick up a bits of information. Um, that's the analogy. We're just talking simple key value pairs. Um, it is a shame. I always think whenever anything like this comes into software that I write, um, whenever you do, it's like a singleton pattern. I don't know, obviously not all your audience is developers, but the singleton pattern is where well, I could be really cruel to the pattern is where you've written a bit of code and you've got something that lots of bits of code that you've decoupled need to use. And you, you it's too late, you've written it in the wrong way. <laughs> all you can do is just have this big shared class where everyone can access it. And there's all sorts of bad reasons for doing that. And baggage feels like that. Um, and I think it's probably right that it's there in the beginning because you you can't get too deep into this when you're trying, if you're trying to get people to adopt it and migrate, um, you can't make it too difficult. And baggage is going to be one of those shortcuts, isn't it? So I can put in, I think a classic example is at this point, in this service, I knew their user ID, five services down the line, I don't, but I'm going to need it. So I could put it in baggage and pull it out. But um, it's very worrying. I, I couldn't get it past our security guys. The idea of um, the information exposure, you know, mm. people putting sensitive data in and then the wrong service being able to see it and trying to keep an eye on all that. Um, there's definitely ways, you know, I think with time, we'll learn good ways of avoiding it. Once we understand open telemetry, you've got custom attributes on spans. Um, once we've got logging in place, because it's not fully there yet, and you can correlate those with traces, then you can put all that good information in your logs then can't you, you can you, know, you're, you can sneak a bit more in there and then because it's correlated i can go back and find it later on not ideal but it's a lot safer than just blindly sending baggage around all over the place because right, right. yeah right so the danger there is i'm putting information i think might be useful just cramming that into into the span or, or whatever and passing that along to the next service down the row where that information should really be in a, a log entry which i can then access via the information that's in the span no okay that correlates to this log which i can pull up the entry for as opposed to passing it down the line that's definitely one way of doing it there's there's other ways but logging logging will be one solution to that but there's 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 different ways to solve the problem without having to do that. And I don't even expect, I don't think you're going to be second guessing. It's more likely you're working on two systems. You've decided you want that bit of information on the other end, on the next system. So you just quickly go and redeploy that one, telling it to shove it in the baggage and you can pick it up the other end because um, we'll take shortcuts. I mean, with developers, we do have a bad rep, but you know, we have to deliver in a certain time. And we, we you know, we, we, we like our technical debt backlog, keep it nice and full of things we should have done right. And so we, if it's there, we'll use it. I will abuse it. <laughs> well, let's move on to the open telemetry collector, uh, Ben. This is uh, something that in our prep call and in your blog post, you make a big deal about. You're a big fan of the collector and what all it's doing for us. So fit it into the open telemetry, telemetry architecture, first of all, and then uh, let's get into what it does. Yeah. So, I mean, the reason why I'm such a big fan of it is because in the end, we oh, yes, we hate vendor lock-in. Um, it would be annoying being locked into a vendor that went out of business, then you really would have to move on, wouldn't you? But otherwise, it's, it's always scary talking about these big migrations and big changes. And and um, I think the collector is really going to help with that as a migration tool as well, as, as a migration aid. I don't know if that's necessarily being um, sort of bigged up as much as it could be. So the collector is, um, although open telemetry is very much about the standard as a core specification, you're just setting just a common language for how we do things. And then all the sort of vendors in the community are building the libraries to allow you to, to gather that information. Um, we also need to 
help get that information out, all that data, all that telemetry data to the different um to, to, to the back ends. Um so what 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 collector is is a uh, a binary. I mean you can run it obviously containerized or in a Kubernetes cluster or just on its own dedicated server or there's a number of ways we can get onto that. And I tend to think, well, it's a bit like it's not really a it's not really like a proxy, um, but it can in, ingest, it can take all that telemetry data from all these different sources, do something with the data. Um, I've heard it, you know, people talking about massaging the data, but there's a lot of different things it can do to that data and then ultimately send it to any number of places too. And I think it just adds that extra freedom to decouple from existing solutions, you know, without disrupting your service. And we kind of sort of touched on that already about, you know, parallel stuff. So imagine, you know, a distributed system, I've got multiple services um, on different tech stacks. I'm using you know, a bit of, let's name a few. Uh, these ones are core to the project. So I think a lot of these like Jaeger, Prometheus, Zipkin, you know, I've got Prometheus, my zip metrics, I've got Zipkin for tracing there, some fluent delogging. Lots of stuff going on. Um, so those are all sort of embedded in my applications and, you know, these different things, signals, and they're being sort of spat out at the moment. Um, and I'm using back A from uh, sort of back end A for my monitoring, but I'm interested in, in sort of you know, using back end B. So instead of having to go through, like we said earlier, go through all my applications to completely reinstrumenting, changing new libraries, changing to probably different types of structured logging, all sorts of stuff like that. All I'd have to do is tell the collector to also export to the second place, to that one and that one. And it could just pass mm. that stuff on. So I think at the core, what's happening is um, the collector can take all sorts of data formats, loads of different data formats, and it's going to convert all of those internally to its own protocol, one single protocol. Mm. And then you can choose to export, you could just export that. That's that's the future we're looking for, where all you have to export is their, you know, the open telemetry protocol to all these services. And we'll get there, I hope. But at the moment, it could then, all the vendors, of course, they're making sure that the collector has these exporter plugins to make sure you can keep sending that stuff to their service. Huh. It's, right. in, in networking, we have a, a parallel with network visibility fabrics. You can... Mm -hmm. Uh, collect packet data streams, send them to this box in the middle that would function in this architecture, like the collector. You can munge those data streams in various ways, depending on what tool you want to send that data stream to. And then, and then off it goes. And these are very uh, powerful boxes that give you the ability to uh, munge data, be selective about the kind of data that you're sending uh, to various backends and this feels very much like that, right? It's not a proxy, exactly. That's not, it's architecturally, it kind of feels like a proxy, but it isn't really a proxy. Um, and in, in, in this situation, Ben, with the open telemetry collector, you're saying it gives us the ability to talk to whatever backend we've been using to munge our telemetry data and present it to us in some kind of an interesting way and parse through it and so on. Uh, and then move to a different tool if we want to later on. Uh, we're not stuck with, again, the one vendor lock-in situation. The collector feels like a big part of the magic that liberates us from that. I guess but on liberates a good word for it as well. And I think, um, I suppose the word I should have used is, is a pipeline. And I think strictly conceptually, it's probably a, a pipeline per signal type. Certainly, if you if you go and look at the um, open telemetry documentation, the YAML files you use to build the pipelines, it, they are very much sort of separate things. Um, so on the receivers function, so you've got 
suppose that, that, that and you build it with plugins essentially so you've got you can pick any receivers you like i think there's over 100 now mm. so you've got it's important to understand open telemetry when you initially go let's say to the collector github repository you'll just see a few receivers and a few exports and the, those are the core ones but there's also a contrib version as well the community driven stuff and that's where the numbers really add up and that's where it gets us up to about 100 receivers so by 100 receivers we're talking about 100 different um data formats so and they go right down to even simple ones there's one called the file log receiver so if i've got and i do have a lot of old .NET framework applications that are just logging to file with log for net um i i in my collector i have the file log receiver give it a pile file path give it a regular expression that tells it how to pass my log files and that's it i now have all those log files from those legacy applications being brought in and converted to ATLP. And all I had to do is put a couple of lines in into mm. my collector as a receiver. And then on the exporter side, like you covered, of course, there's, there's exporters for all these different systems as well. And in the middle, there's a lot of magic you can do as well. The processes, we call them. Um, I did uh, see some stuff the other day. I think there's a bit, they're getting too many processes. It's becoming hard to manage. So there's our new piece of work in Alpha called the Transformer, which will... Do a lot of those things, and I think it's getting its own programming language called um, I don't know, <laughs> observability trans transformation language. Maybe I'm not sure. Um, I just just glanced at it, just came off my news feed. Um, but there's lots of stuff in there. You've got like um, a Kubernetes processor, so your collector, um, if it's got all these different apps in Kubernetes sending it, um, sending it, um, telemetry. It would automatically stamp metadata such as you know namespace or you know pod ids and that sort of stuff on there for you um for that sort of consistency enriching it with all that metadata uh there's a personal information processor as well so you can have a processor in there that um you know redacts and anonymizes you know personal identifiable information and i could go on again if you look in the processes mm -hmm. folder on the country repository there's a lot there it, it kind of reminds me of how people started using Envoy to do some data transformation or massaging uh, when it intercepts the, the request between two different services. And this sounds like kind of like the same thing, but for exporting telemetry data or logging, and you have this intermediary that can also do a little, has these loops where it's doing some processing before it sends it out the other end. Yeah. Well, the, the, there's a scaling challenge here to me, Ben, or at least this feels like, I could be throwing an awful lot of telemetry into this binary, into this container that's doing an awful lot of munging and sending to an awful lot of exporters and that this could be a, a bottleneck or I could be you know, just dropping transactions on the ground. Is there a way I can scale this thing, throw it behind a load balancer or something? So um, there, how you deploy the collector complete, totally depends on your requirements. And I know it's easy to say depends on in our industry. It's the answer to everything, <laughs> but... <laughs> um, depends on your requirements, depends on your infrastructure. Um, but there's two really common deployment patterns. So you've got the as a central gateway and as an agent. Mm. So um as a gateway, it's a central process, and that that could again, it could be on its you know a dedicated box, it could be in a Kubernetes cluster. Um, and then we could be talking, you know, um, no, yeah, sorry, um lost myself for a moment. Um, so that would take, and that could take all your data and do its processing, all that sort of stuff, and then send it to multiple backends. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that will give you that single point of egress, you know, simplifying that manage, management. Um, so I don't have to give all these different development teams all the different application to, you know, your API tokens to talk to the different backends and um, batching, all that sort of stuff. I can I control that in one place. And it's often why I think we're going to find more and more DevOps, the ops personnel owning the central gateway. Um, so you can get better governance around, you know, what goes out, you know, I mean, how things are throttled, all that sort of stuff, and what's encrypted and what's, you know, what's hidden. Um, so you'll probably, you probably will run a central gateway regardless for that. But then it, the same binary can also be run in agent mode. Um, and you're probably quite familiar with that in, in the DevOps community, in infrastructure. There's, there's quite a few things that tend to run on agents for, for as agents on boxes, aren't there, for, for monitoring behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's going to be de- deployed closer to every host. Um, so that, I mean, one of the main advantages there, and you were talking about, you know, performance problems as well, is that you want your application to offload logging quickly. You know, the, right. the back end's misbehaving. And in the days when I might have sent it straight to, you know, some vendor back end, if that if vendor was having problems, my whole application might just stall waiting until it can send these logs, or I'd have to bin them. So the nice thing about having that collector you know, as an agent close to your host, is you can offload this stuff quickly. And you can also um, do different levels of configuration, you know, more suited to, to that particular scenario, wherever it might be. Um, and that, that that could be, you know, classic sidecar, you know, or even one-to-one inside Kubernetes or a daemon set, you know, where you've got one for a bunch of nodes in the cluster. There's a lot of options as to how you might choose to do that. And that really is, it depends on, it just, you might want to only have one egress out of a particular network boundary. So you might have a collector, one collector that a few apps go to. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm glad you said sidecar because I was, I was like, wow, a host on an agent uh, or an agent on a host, I mean, is even, uh, even that's a potential bottleneck depending, depending on a lot of things. You know, could I do it as a sidecar, you know, per more like per process or per container if I wanted. And it sounds, or maybe per pod is the right way to put it in a Kubernetes context. Yeah. It sounds like yeah. I, I can do either of those agent on a, on a host or sidecar in a pod. Yeah. And, um, a lot of us, I mean, when we're looking at this, it's all the greenfield of the modern cloud stack stuff. It stack is um and the Kubernetes stuff is quite well suited to this. But actually, for this big picture, for this journey, I think we're going to have a lot of legacy applications that we're going to want to do this too without necessarily having to modernize them and put them in the cloud. Mm-hmm. Uh at home England, we still have plenty in the data center on older .NET frameworks, but we still want them to be part of that bigger picture. Um so and there's lots it can offer in that scenario as well. If you put one of these collector agents on the box no surprise as receivers as well for monitoring windows linux even max you know all the stuff you'd get from like windows counters normally to to, to look at the state of processes and the health of a machine there's receivers for that too now i think there's a collect d receiver as well you might be familiar with that so there's an awful lot of power and i think um that's what impresses me most about the collection and the speed that that has grown up and it's also the concern it's caused such that they're trying to make one processor to rule them all, you know, and then the darkness buying them and all that stuff because there's too many of them. <laughs> so, Ben, it feels like there's a lot of industry support for open telemetry. It's growing. Uh, we're getting briefed by vendors with tooling that are adding support for open telemetry in some way or another. So there's a lot of momentum here. So maybe this is popping up on someone's radar and they want to know how to get started with Otel. Can you give them some recommendations? Yes, absolutely. I mean, definitely the adoption 
the signs are that it's here to stay and there's lots of success stories. I don't, I don't think there's any avoiding it, which is why I know the typical advice is, oh, we'll just try it on one application, see how it works for you. And it's like, well, do you have to do that if you don't actually have any choice? I think maybe what people are looking for now is, is how do I actually start adopting it? What's, what's the realistic plan? Um, what I would say before I get onto that, though, is in terms of readiness, um, we're still waiting, you know, logging still needs some work to be finished. It was the one that was less to last because it was the hardest. It was most difficult in terms of the challenges involved. The uh, traces and metrics were very much a sort of a clean rewrite. Pretty straightforward if you're allowed to reinvent something. Um, logging was trickier because there's a really large number of existing logging systems. And they're quite divided communities too. In .NET, you've got the, um, you know, the log for nets, the end logs and, you know, whatnot. Um, not to be confused with log4j and those awful bugs. Nothing <laughs> to do with that. Um, yeah, so and um, so because of that, it's just taking a bit longer because they want to embrace those logging solutions. They don't actually want to wipe them. They want to try and ensure compatibility because it's, they're, they're too ingrained. Because as you know, we have been abusing them. We've been using logging for everything. I've seen logging used for the metrics in a, in a like touch way. You know, people recording timestamps, you know. Um, developers love them. That's, that's the only tool they've really had because the DevOps culture is, is, is improving, but I wouldn't say necessarily devs are, are deep into metrics, even if Grafana's beautiful and pretty, pretty thing and all that. I still think, you know, logs um, are something we need to preserve. Um, so what's happening is the Open Telemetry project's now going to start um, looking for a way to add that richer correlation to our logs without you know, while ensuring compatibilities, we've got those logs, but we also get that those trace and span IDs in there. So our existing logging, so if we make the effort now to start instrumenting a bit of tracing in our applications, um, that will be able to correlate with the existing logging that we have so we can get that bigger picture without doing any brand new work for logging. And with that, they're introducing a new logging API and off the back of a model, and off the back of that, it's called a log bridge API which is going to help us make that transition. They don't expect developers to do that, though. It's the library authors. So in .NET world, wow. we have Log, and that is just a plug and play, though. So it's just Log. I've already prototyped the library, one line of code in my SP.NET application that really uses Log, and um, magically, I'm, I'm now going to be um, emitting OpenTelemetry-compliant logging hmm. with that tracing information. So it's, it looks like it's going to be a smooth transition, but I don't know. I, I, I'm not, you know, hands up. I'm not, I haven't had time to be involved in the community, but I, I'm getting the impression it's going to be a good year before we feel comfortable saying we're going to adopt all three. But I don't think we should just be waiting. So on to my how to get started. How do I yeah. actually start adopting? I would actually go, it's not about writing some code first. I think it's about um, starting with the infrastructure and getting an end-to-end journey in place. And that would be a gateway collector first. Because... And obviously it does depend, you know, are you talking about, you know, Greenfield or existing estate? I think where the challenges of adopting this are going to be there are the existing estate. And if, if that's the problem you're solving, like like I will be where I am, then it's get that collector in place, get that infrastructure. And then maybe, you know, if you've got some legacy bare metal or those sort of VMs or the data center, then that host metrics receiver I talked about, that's a lot of fun. Get that agent on a host and start getting some metrics back, you know, about your servers via the collector instead. And hopefully export that to your existing backend that you're using anyway to monitor 
um, the health of your servers. And just have a go at doing that. So it's from a sort of DevOps infrastructure angle. Um, and then after that, it's once you've got that channel going, that full journey, um, then it's just a case of, of looking at, at small standard applications and just having a go at plugging them in. But get that infrastructure, get that end-to-end journey in first. Mm. Okay. That all seems straightforward enough and logical. And as uh, the, the caveats about where the project is and uh, how that might impact yeah. your decision to go yeah. forward with open telemetry now or maybe wait a little bit is... Uh, uh, is is helpful, helpful insight. But and, and I heard what you were saying. You're saying don't don't mm-hmm. wait, but but you know, anyway. just know that we're not fully mature here with open telemetry. I wouldn't I wouldn't consider doing any greenfield, any new work now without um fully embracing open telemetry because of ah, the collector, because of the way it works, because of if you, even if you don't want the collector, there's also exported libraries for all the different languages to continue using your existing backend. So you you can write a new application. As if, you know, completely in the open telemetry world, but still actually send that in Jaeger format to Jaeger still, if mm-hmm. you want to, until you're ready to switch over. So certainly I wouldn't be writing anything new without embracing open telemetry, absolutely. Okay. Okay, so folks listening, uh, this podcast was uh, an expansion of two blog posts that Ben wrote about open telemetry, the modern observability problem and open telemetry, the missing ingredient, which you can find at his blog, failingfast.io. Now, Ben, back to you. Are there other places people can follow you if they want to interact with you or just keep up with what you're doing? Follow on Twitter. I haven't jumped ship to Mastodon or anything like that yet. So <laughs> I am on Twitter. I'm at benhall underscore io. There's a, a daft story to that. We'll save for another day. Um, but I'm stuck with it now. So every time I mention it, I'm obviously, it's even firmer embedded in my future. benhall underscore io on, on Twitter. Very good. Again, Ben's blog, failingfast.io. And uh, and if you've listened all the way to this point, virtual high fives to you, you awesome human. If you have suggestions for future shows, Ned and I would love to hear them. You can hit us up on Twitter because we haven't jumped ship to Mastodon either. I think I have a Mastodon account. I haven't even checked it since I built it, Ned. Do you have a Mastodon account? Did you, did you do that? <laughs> yep. And same here. Barely checked I, it. Okay. <laughs> well, anyway, we are still paying attention on Twitter at Day Two Cloud Show. And if you're not a Twitter person, you can fill out the request form on our website, day2cloud.io, and let us know the topics you'd like us to dig into for you. And if you like engineering oriented shows like this one, and, and I know you do, visit packetpushers.net slash subscribe. Day Two Cloud is, of course, part of the Packet Pushers podcast network. And that subscribe page has Everything you'd want to know from the Packet Pushers Podcast Network, all of our podcasts, newsletters, and websites, it's all there. Nerdy content designed for your professional career development. And until then, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans.